We're going to be looking at four principles this afternoon on what it takes to defeat temptation. Let me say this. This is not, I want to preface it all by helping us understand certain, certain things. This is not some kind of a magic formula, okay, that you take these principles, you throw them into a pot, you stir them up and, and throw it at sin, and poof, you're never going to sin again. That's, that's not what we're talking about here, okay? But I will tell you this. These are biblical principles to learn what it takes to defeat sin. God wants you to be holy, Okay? He, he wouldn't have intended for us to, uh, to, be, uh, to be holy if he hadn't told us he wanted us to be holy. He said, be ye holy, for I am holy. That's his intent. So therefore, he's going to give us the possibility to be able to do that. And guys, he wants us to win this battle. And I'm here to tell you, listen, there's hope. You can win the battle with sin. I promise you this. And we're going to talk about these principles. Again, these principles are not something you throw in a pot and throw at sin. And uh, you're never going to sin again. However, if these principles are in your life and they are growing, then you will find yourself having victory over sin. And it's really cool when you, when you get down the road a little bit and you look back and you see how God worked in his life to help you to start defeating sin. I, I hope that's your heart. I hope that when you, when you look at your life, you're like, you're seeing certain things in your life. You're like, I don't want that. I don't want that sin. I, I'm tired of it because I know it doesn't please God. And honestly, our goal this afternoon is help you learn what it takes uh, to, to, to have a life that pleases God. You're not going to be perfect, but by God's grace, you can be striving uh, to that end. And really, that is what we're going to be looking at this afternoon. I want you to turn to 1 Corinthians chapter 10 if you have your Bibles. If not, I will, I will make sure that I will read these, these passages to you as well. First thing we need to understand, if we're going to defeat temptation in our life, number one... We must determine to escape. When I'm talking about determination, I'm talking about this commitment, guys. I'm talking about this decision in your life, okay? That when, in your life, you've gotten down and you've said, God, I don't care what it is. I am willing to do it to defeat sin. Is that, have you gotten to that point in your life? Are you there? And really, we have to get to that point if we are going to go any further with defeating sin. If there is not a determination to do whatever it takes to defeat sin, then you're going to leave gates and doors open and avenues open to sin. And you're going to make provision for your flesh. But by God's grace, the very first place that you start is getting down on your knees and saying, God, I, I want what you want in my life. I am, I am determining in my life to not sin. That's what I want. That is my goal. That is my commitment to you. Now, what gives us the ability to be able to do this? Well, I'm going to tell you this. It's knowing that God promises that you can defeat sin. Because God is in control of this. And when God makes a promise, he keeps his promise. We don't have to keep that promise for him. He keeps that promise. And we have, we have responsibility and duty in our life. And honestly, we're going to be looking at a lot of the things that, uh, that are our responsibilities that we put into practice in our lives to, to help us to, to defeat sin in our lives. So what does it take? 1 Corinthians chapter 10, how, how does it get to the point? How do, can I get to the point where I can know that I can escape sin? First, uh, 1 Corinthians chapter 10 verse 12 says this, Wherefore let him that thinketh he standeth take heed, uh, be careful, lest he fall. Guys, the moment you think you're doing okay is the moment you're going to have issues in your life. Guys, you've got to make sure that you maintain a protection of your heart. We'll talk more about that in just a little bit. But we've got to understand that, that, we, that, that the danger is constantly out there. 
And I'm glad the verse doesn't stop there and he just doesn't give this dire warning. Hey, be careful lest you fall. He goes on in verse 13 and he helps our hearts here. He says this, There hath no temptation taken you, but such as is common to man. And here it is, this phrase, I love this phrase, because God is faithful. God is faithful. Do you believe that? Guys, I hope you do. And I hope you understand. Really, to get to the point where you know that God is faithful, you have to know God. You see, you trust something you know. Do you know who God is? When you get to know God, you will find him faithful. He has said it right here. God is faithful. That is a promise. And he goes on and he tells us even more about this promise. He says this, but God is faithful. He will not suffer you to be tempted above that ye are able, but will with that temptation make a way to what? Say it again. Say it again. Say it again. Guys, packaged along, along with every single temptation we face is a path to be able to escape. How do I know that's true? And how do I know that I can make this decision? God, I don't care what it is, I'm willing to do it. How do I know I can do this? Because God is faithful. And he has told us in his word that he will not suffer us to be tempted. Above that we are able, but will with that temptation make a way to escape. That word escape has always been a fascinating word to me. I don't know, I like cool things. Um, I'm, I'm like a kid at heart. If you know anything about me, you're like, oh yeah, you're a kid. And uh, I, I like cool things. And I, I'll still see a car driving down the road and be like, oh, and I'll drool a little bit when I see a cool car. So I like cool things. And this word escape has always been a fascinating word to me, always been a cool word. When I was growing up, whenever I'd hear a story about a great escape, um, my, my ears would always perk up and I'd really pay attention. I remember when I was a kid, I heard a story about the escape from Alcatraz. Anybody ever heard this story? Oh man, it was fascinating to me. There's these four men, uh, Clarence Anglin, John Anglin, Frank Lee Morris, and Alan West. Quite possibly the only four men, actually, actually there's only three guys. The one guy got stuck in the hole. Quite possibly the only three guys to ever escape from Alcatraz. I'm not, I'm not condoning what they did. I just like the cool story, okay? All right, these guys, I, it was a number of years ago. I had the opportunity to, uh, with my wife to go out to San Francisco. And, uh, you know, I, I, she wanted to go out to eat or, or go shopping at this place or whatever. I didn't care about any of that. You know what I wanted to do? I just wanted to go to prison. That's all I cared about, because I had heard this story about this great escape in Alcatraz. Now, Alcatraz was a prison out on an island in the bay in San Francisco, okay, considered inescapable, and these three guys are possibly the only guys to ever escape, but I remember the, the morning we were heading over to Alcatraz, I was like a giddy little kid on Christmas, I couldn't wait to get over there, because I'd heard this story, and then we get over there, and they tell us the story once again about how these guys, this is what they did, they, they took a spoon, they sharpened the end of a spoon, they put it in a fan, and they drilled through the back walls of their cell. They took that plaster from drilling through the walls because they had to do something with it. Well, they made these dummy heads uh, with, that, with that plaster. One of the guys worked at a barber shop, and he would bring the hair home, and they, that's what he used to, to make these dummy heads. And they would put them in the beds, and that would help them procure their escape. Well, finally the night came. They, they crawled through these holes in the back of their cell, and uh, they crawled through those holes, and... They went into this corridor, corridor E. They crawled up those rain, drain pipes all the way to the roof, across the roof, down the drain pipes on the outside, and now they're at the shore. Well, the problem is it's two miles to the, to the next shore, okay, because it's on an island. And in, in that water uh, are sharks, okay? And worse than sharks, the water's cold. <laughs> I can handle sharks. I can't handle cold water. And uh, so they had to have some way to get across this bay. 
Well, one of the guys worked in a place where he got some raincoats and they welded them together somehow and made a life raft out of them. Well, they had to have some way to blow up this life raft. And so they took an old accordion down to the shore with them and they used the accordion to, to pump up the life raft. I'm assuming they took the keys out. <laughs> Otherwise, it wouldn't be a great escape, would it? <laughs> they know it's ended us. We're just down here doing the polka on the beach. But... Uh, Quite possibly, this is a great escape, and these guys made it, potentially made it, made it across, and quite possibly uh, one of the greatest escapes of all time. Let me tell you another story about a great escape. Her name was Tabitha Hatfield. She was in my sixth grade class. She looked at me one day during lunch, and she said these words. She looked me right in the eyes, and she said, today, during recess, I'm going to kiss you. Yeah, I'm, a, I'm a sixth grader. My life flashed before my eyes. <laughs> I'm thinking, if that girl's lips touch my face, I'm a dead man. And uh, I remember I was out on the basketball courts after, after school, and I looked around, and Tabitha and her lips are coming right for me. <laughs> I did this little duck and spin move, and Tabitha and her lips flew right across, right into the chain link fence. My friends, that was a great escape. <laughs> well, I can tell you, thank you. Yep. About the most impressive thing I've ever done. You know, I can sit here, guys, and I can tell you a story about great escapes all day long, but I want you to get this, okay? I want you to understand this. There is no greater escape than the one that is promised to us in 1 Corinthians chapter 10, verse 13. God is faithful. He will not suffer you to be tempted. Above that, you're able, but will with that temptation make a way to escape. Knowing that truth, knowing that promise... It gives me the ability to say, get down on my knees and say, God, I know you're faithful. I know you're powerful. I know who you are. And I know I can escape this sin. Guys, therein lies your hope. And you've got to have that hope if you're going to make that decision. And that's why it starts right there. With that determination to escape. Because it's backed by the truth that God is faithful. And he gives us that promise that we will not be tempted above that we are able and always packaged right along with every temptation is a way to escape. So what are some practical things that we need to understand if we're going to escape the temptation to sin? Number one, we need to consider sin dead. If you are a believer. If you're a believer, sin has no power over you. If you sit here tonight and you don't know Christ as your personal Savior, all you can do is sin. It is impossible for you to please God. And you will not have the ability to escape the temptations. But for those of us who know Christ, sin is dead to us. You might be sitting here and be like, Willie, boy, it doesn't seem like it's, it's dead. I mean, it seems like it has power over me. Guys, you're giving it strength. You're not cutting off avenues. You're not setting up barriers. You're not doing these things that you need to do in your life that, that, that enable you to be able to sin by God's grace. Enable you to not sin by God's grace. Do you understand this truth? Sin is dead to you if you're a believer. A lot of these things we could spend a lot more time talking about, but I want you to get these, these basic principles. So if we're going to escape temptation to sin, number one, we have to consider sin dead. Number two, we have to deny sin. Titus 2.12 says this, get this. It says, teaching us. First of all, before that, it says, for the grace of God has appeared to all men. That grace of God that he's talking about right there is Christ in salvation. For that grace has appeared to all men, and those of us who accept Jesus Christ as personal Savior, it teaches us to deny ungodliness and to deny worldly lust that we, so we can live soberly, righteously, and godly in this present world. And guys, we got to get to the point where we deny sin. How many basketball players we got out here? 
Right? How many of you have ever gone up for a shot and uh, somebody taller, more skilled than you comes down and just swats your shot? It's never happened to me, but I've seen it happen. And uh, you know what they're doing? They're denying you the possibility to get that ball in the basket. And guys, in the same type of vein, we need to do whatever it takes to deny sin. The problem so often is we're not denying sin. We're opening the door and we're inviting sin in. Because we're not willing to go, take a step back, take a step back, do whatever it takes. That determination. Guys, we've got to get to the point where we're willing to do whatever it takes. And when that's the case, we know we have a tendency to sin here, then guess what? We stiff arm it. And we say no. You've got to get to that point where you're going to find yourself sliding right back into the exact same thing over and over and over again. We've got to deny sin, but not only that, we need to flee from it. Don't allow yourself to be in proximity with that sin. Now, there might be some times when it comes and you're there, but and depend upon, obviously, God's grace in all of these cases to help you in these areas. But guys, we've got to run from sin. We've got to flee from it. 2 Timothy 2.22 tells us to flee fornication. We see Genesis 39. We see an example of this played out. Of course, that's Joseph, right? And Joseph's in Potiphar's house. He, he can't do anything else but be there. He's a slave, basically, right? And so he's working in Potiphar's house, and Potiphar's wife comes up and entices him. And what does he do at this point? He runs. Matter of fact, he runs so fast, he left his coat behind. And he didn't run away and be like, oh, no, my coat. And run back and be like, uh, you know, Mrs. Potiphar, I know I just ran from you. Can I have my coat? He didn't do that. He ran away. And I guarantee you, he knew that that coat was probably going to get him into some trouble. But he didn't care. What was the motivation of his heart? He said this, how can I do this great wickedness and sin against who? Who? That's what matters. Guys, you've got to learn to run from sin because you have the right motivation because you want to please God with your life. And the more you know God, the more you'll want to please him. We'll talk more about that later. And when we're running, when we're running away from sin, we need to learn to walk in the Spirit. Galatians 5.16 teaches us this. We're not going to be able to take the time to to dive into really what this means. But bottom line, the Holy Spirit, if you're a believer, speaks truth to your heart from the Word of God. And when there's a temptation to sin, the Holy Spirit is right there teaching us not to sin. Teaching us the Word that we've meditated on and with the Word we've paid attention to and the Word of God that is always constantly, should be always constantly there. And He takes that and when we're walking in the Spirit, we're, we're allowing the Spirit to control us and to guide us. And when we're doing that, we cannot grieve or quench the Holy Spirit. Guys, we need to constantly be, be prepared to listen to the Holy Spirit in every aspect of our life. Do nothing that interferes with the Holy Spirit being able to work in your life. Nothing should be a part of our life that's going to interfere with being able to listen to the Holy Spirit. Have I, have I made that clear? We cannot be, and that's why the Bible tells us we cannot be intoxicated, we can't, be, we can't do anything like this to interfere with the Holy Spirit working in our life because he, he is the one that keeps us living a life that pleases a holy God by his grace. We cannot grieve and we cannot quench the Holy Spirit. Of course, the picture here is of a fire. And if we take that picture, we think about the Holy Spirit working a fire in your heart using the word of God. There's a couple ways you can put out a fire, right? You can either remove the fuel or you can smother it. Same way, 
But the Holy Spirit, the fuel that the Holy Spirit uses in each one of our lives to teach us how to live godly is the Word of God. So if we are not in the Word of God, which we'll talk about in a minute, if we're not in the Word of God, then guys, guess what? We're going to be quenching the Holy Spirit by removing the fuel. Or we can quench it by smothering Him by diving right back into sin. So often, campers come here and they make solid decisions. Decisions to please the Lord. And, you know, the wilds get the bad rap sometimes because they say kids make camp decisions. I don't buy into that for the most part. I think they're legitimate decisions because God, it's God's working. It's not us. But then what happens? See, the reason so often that God uses the, the ministry of, of the wilds or a Christian camp or something like this is all it is, this is very simple. You're coming in, distractions are removed. You don't have TVs, you don't have video games. That's intentional. You don't have your cell phones. That's intentional. Because they, we want to remove all the distractions. You're inundated with God's word. And guess what? God works through his word. When distractions are removed. And you're just inundated with the word of God. So often then, you know, campers will make good decisions and they'll head home. And they'll seem to slide back into the same sins. Why? Because they're quenching the Holy Spirit by diving into sin. By smothering the Holy Spirit's working. Guys, the exact same God that is here is the exact same God that's at home. And he will work. But guys, you've got to make sure you maintain an aspect of your life where you are staying close to God in his word and away from sin. Does that make sense? I hope so. We've got to determine to escape. Very, number one, you have to determine to escape. Secondly, if we're going to defeat sin, determine to escape. And that gets us to the point where we understand, okay, this is... I, I'm willing to do whatever it takes to defeat sin in my life. God, that is, I'm getting on my knees and saying, God, whatever it takes, that's what it takes. We know we can do this because God has promised that, he, that, that, that with every temptation that comes, he packages a way to escape. Now, God doesn't send that temptation, but God does allow temptation, but right along with that temptation is packaged a way to escape. So number one, you have to determine to escape. Secondly, you've got to learn to defend your heart. Turn to Proverbs chapter 4, verse 23. This might be a passage that you know. Um, if not, I challenge you to memorize it. Proverbs chapter 4, verse 23 says this. It says, keep thy heart. How? With all diligence. Why? For out of it are the issues of life. Keep thy heart with all diligence. For out of it are the issues of life. That word keep means to protect or to maintain or to conceal. Uh, that word heart refers to the mind, but can still refer to the emotions as well. And that phrase, with all diligence, is another word for guarding. It has the picture of a guard posted to watch a door. Uh, I told you I like cool things. A number of years ago, I was in New York City, and I was, I was walking down the road, and uh, my wife and her, her parents were up a few feet away looking at a map, and I was sitting here just gawking and everything because I love cool things. And all of a sudden, this armored car drives down the road, and it parks right beside me. And I thought, Cool. <laughs> And then I looked up and I realized I was standing between this armored car and this huge bank. And I thought, cool. <laughs> and then a, this door opened up, almost, the door almost hit me. And a guy got, got out and he's holding a revolver down by his side. And I thought, cool. <laughs> and then the back doors of this truck opened up and out on an elevator came a stack of money about four feet high and about four feet wide. And I thought, cool. <laughs> Now, what would have happened if I'd have gone over there and be like, hey, I've never seen that much money before. Hey, do you mind if I touch it? You mind if I like put a little bit in my pocket? What would have happened? The guy had a gun. He probably would have pointed it at me. I would have been uncomfortable. Guys, his job 
was to defend that cash, and he was going to do whatever it took. As believers, guys, you understand one of your roles as a believer is to defend your heart. Why? Because God told us to. Because out of it are the issues of life. The things that you believe, the things that you, that, 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 that you understand in life come from the heart. So you have to guard your heart. He goes on in this passage to help us understand what guarding our heart looks like. Um, I love it when a, when a passage outlines itself. It makes it easy for the speaker. But on, going on down in, in Proverbs chapter 4, again, verse 23 says, Keep thy heart with all diligence, for out of it are the issues of life. How do we do this? Well, number of, uh, first of all, you've got to guard your tongue. Verse 24 tells us this. Put away from thee a forward mouth. Perverse lips put far from thee. You go, I think we believe that we talked about this in God and I time this morning in our, in our chapel time. If you're going to guard your heart, you've got to learn to guard your tongue. Guard what you say. Guard what comes out. And in this day and age, is guard what you text. Guys, you've got to learn to guard your tongue in so many different ways, in what we say, in the jokes we tell. Guys, are you known to be liars? Do you do that? You guys understand? God hates lying. Now, God cares very much about what we say. Do you know that? How do I know this? James, the book of James in the New Testament, is uh, it got very few chapters in this book. That book is written to give us a picture of what a mature Christian looks like, okay? I think there's five chapters in that book. You know what he devotes a whole chapter in this book that shows us what a mature believer looks like? You know what he devotes a whole chapter to? The tongue what we say. God cares very much about what you say. He tells us right here, put away from thee a forward mouth, perverse lips put far from thee. So how do we guard our heart? You guard our tongue. Secondly, you guard your eyes. Look at verse 25. He says, let thine eyes look right on. Let thine eyelids look straight before thee. You know what that means? You look at what you're supposed to be looking at and don't look at what you're not supposed to be looking at. Guard your eyes. So we take a step back again. Are you willing to do whatever it takes? Have you made that determination to defeat sin? God, I want to do whatever it takes. Then guess what you're going to have to do? You have to learn to guard your tongue. You're going to have to learn to guard your eyes and do whatever it takes to guard your eyes. If you have a tendency to look at things you shouldn't be looking at, then you cut off that avenue. You set up, here it is, standards. Bad word, right? No. Guys, standards are good things if you use them correctly. We don't have standards to show somebody else how righteous we are. We have standards because we don't want to sin. That's why we have standards. And guys, put standards up. If you're struggling with what you look at, make sure you take, 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 take precautions to make sure you, you, you don't have those things that cause you to look at sin. If you have a smartphone, guess what? If you're struggling with it, you can get rid of it if you're willing to do whatever it takes. Now they're like, come on, Willie, I need my phone. No, you don't. When I was growing up, they didn't have cell phones. When your sponsors were growing up, they didn't have phones. <laughs> Guys, listen. Do you understand what we're talking about now? There are ways that you can set up precautions on it. But you better make sure that you're doing whatever it takes if you're going to guard your heart. So you guard your tongue, you guard your eyes, and thirdly, we guard our path. Verses 26 and 27 says this, Ponder the path of thy feet. 
Let all thy ways be established. Turn not to the right hand nor to the left. Remove your foot from evil. Uh, that word ponder means to think about. You know what this is? A, these, these two verses are a biblical principles to live a scheduled life. You know, so often we see, we, we see teenagers here all throughout the year, and the, the, a lot of teenagers get into tr- trouble when there's no set schedule, right? Uh, senior trips or summers or something like that. Guys, I want to challenge you to live a scheduled life even during the summer. It says, ponder the path of thy feet. Think about what you're going to do before you do it. And then he goes on to say, let all thy ways be established. So you establish your steps before you even go. And of course, we know in other places in Scripture, the steps of a good man are ordered by the Lord. So we establish our steps, we lay it out, we know what we're going to do, and then we do it. Turn not to the right hand nor to the left. Stay on that schedule, stay on that path. Turn not to the right hand nor to the left. Remove your foot from evil. Guys, if we're gonna, these are all very, very practical verses on what it takes to guard our hearts. Now we just need to put these things into practice. We guard our heart by guarding our tongue, by guarding our eyes, and by guarding our path. Very easy, very simple to see and to read. Guys, if you're going to defeat temptation, you've got to, number one, first and foremost, you've got to determine to escape the sin. Because we know that God has promised that we can do this because He is faithful. He is faithful. That gives us the ability. The second aspect that we're looking at, we need to make sure we defend our hearts and guard our hearts. That we put up uh, guardrails to make sure that we, don't, that we don't sin. We defend our heart. And the third aspect, third thing we'll see is that we need to learn to delight in God's Word. Delight in God's Word. I do have a question for sake of illustration. You guys can talk to me. What do you delight in? You guys tell me some of the things. What are some things you like? Just, I delight in this. Okay, raise your hand because if you guys just hollered out, it just sounds like to me. So raise your hand. I'll call you. Yeah, right here. Yeah. Camp. I'll give you a free cool beans drink later. Good. All right, what else? Yeah, right here. Music goals. Not music, but music goals. Okay, good. What? Frappuccinos. Nice. She wants a cool beans drink. Yeah. Uh, sports. You play them at all? You ever play basketball? No, just, I didn't think so. All right. Yeah, what do you like? Hiking. Yeah. Yeah. Huh? Lifting weights. Have you ever done that? Yeah, I'm, this, this boy scares me. All right. Yeah, what do you love? Thank you. I'll give you a cool beans drink later too. Yeah. Huh? Lunch. Hold off. It's almost here. Yeah. What? Right here. What? The giant swing. Man, you're saying all the wild stuff. Yeah. Science. Science. Music. Music. <laughs> skating. Like ice skating? I, any kind of skating. All right, listen. I could do this all day long. I could go around. Listen. I could go around and I could ask you guys all day long, what are the things you like and you enjoy? I have these things too. You know what I enjoy? Ice cream. Yeah, you do too. Chocolate chocolate chip cookie dough ice cream. Yes. I love ice cream. You know what else I love? I love my kids. I love spending time with them. Yep. You delight in them too. Yeah, I love just I love just uh, just 
just going and spending time with them and, 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 and uh, you know, taking them places. And my, my final child there, Micah, he's a, I got a timeout for a second. I told you my last week, my, my issues with my voice. Well, he will not let this go. Because he, he, whenever I get on to him about something, this is 99.9% .9 of the time, whenever I get on to him about something, he, I'll say, Micah, no, you know you shouldn't be doing that. He'll <laughs> be like, yes, ma'am, daddy. <laughs> I'm not kidding. I can show you. He does this all the time. I think he's a turkey. All right, but well, I love spending time with my, my family. I love spending time with my wife. Uh, you know, there are certain things that we love, and you have these things too. And if I were to come to you, and you could spend a lot of time talking about these things. There's nothing wrong with that, okay? You could spend time about sports or, or, or science or, or different things. You could tell me what you like about these things. Guys, I have a question for you. Do you have that same passion and love for God's Word? You've got to get here. You've got to. I'm not, I'm not saying the things that you love, that, that God has given you in this world, you shouldn't love. Go for it. But guys, we have to love God's word more. And you can tell if you do. What do you, what do, you do in the mornings? Yeah, but one of the first thoughts is it. Don't answer this. I want you to search your hearts. Do you get up and spend time in God's word? Guys, I was about 14 or 15 years old when God really started getting a hold of my heart about spending time in the word of God. And... Uh, I, I, you know, I was convicted about it. And I went to my dad, and he helped me. He got some study books and stuff, and and uh, and I started having my time in the Word. Okay, I'm gonna let you know a little secret. The more I did, the, 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 when I first started doing it, I didn't really like it. Right? It was kind of like studying, and I was from Alabama. We didn't have to study. <laughs> but I'm gonna tell you this. Listen, I stayed with it, and the more I did it the more I loved it. And it's, listen, it's more than just an acquired taste, okay? I'm going to tell you the key to loving to spend time in God's Word. It's found in Psalm 34, verse 8. It says this, taste and see that God is good. How many of you have favorite places you love to eat? So do I, man. I love Buffalo Wild Wings. Oh, I love Buffalo Wild Wings. When I was growing up, when I was growing up, McDonald's. I love McDonald's, man. I remember when we would, we would, uh, we would go on a, on a trip, and my dad would be like, hey, we're going to stop to eat. And my, my sister and I, we were so excited. We were like, super pumped. And you know, like, hey, where are we going to go out to eat? at like, McDonald's. Sometimes we were so excited. We'd get a Happy Meal. We'd play with the cheeseburger and eat the toy. That's how excited we were. Now, why were we so excited about this? Why were we so excited? Because nutritional value, right? No. Here, listen. You know why we were so excited? Listen. Because it tasted good. Listen. It's a weak illustration, I know, to what we're talking about. But Psalm 34, 8 says, Taste and see that God is good. You will not be disappointed. When God starts to reveal himself to you from his word, there is nothing like it. And you are going to want more and more and more. That's what God does. But guys, you've got to start getting into the Word. My favorite time of day, this is only by the grace of God. My favorite time of day is when I get up in the morning and I go out and I, I sit at the end of my couch and I've got my iPad and some study books and, 
and a cup of coffee. This coffee is crucial to proper devotion, okay? I think you can be saved and not like coffee, but I don't know that you can be godly, okay? But I sit there, listen, and I spend time in the Word of God. I love that time of day. It's not because I like to study, because I don't. You know what I like? Hearing from God. I, like, I love it. It's not like, I love when God reveals himself to me in his word. Because those are just nuggets of truth that overwhelm my heart. And guys, and you might be sitting there, you know what, Willie, I'm only, I'm only 12, 13, or 14. I, I just don't understand that. Guys, you can get here. You have to start spending time in, your, in the word. That's why we have here at the Wilds, we, we, we put into the schedule, nothing messes with it. Every single camp we have, nothing messes with God and I time. We might adjust other things, nothing messes with God and I time. It is the most important part of your day. You don't have to call it God and I time. You can call it your devotions or, or spending time in the Word. Whatever you want to call it, get into the Word, spend time with God. Learn to love God's Word. So how do we do this? Number one, obviously, taste and see that God is good. But when we're in the Word of God, we have to meditate on, this tru- on these truths. Psalm 1 tells us this. I'm almost done. You're, you're listening great, by the way. Thank you. Just focus in for just a couple more minutes. Psalm chapter 1 says this. Blessed, that word blessed means happy. Blessed is the man that doesn't do these things, that walketh not in the counsel of the ungodly, nor stands in the way of sinners, nor sits in the seat of the scornful. So blessed is the man that doesn't do these things, but blessed is this guy. Blessed, but he, but, but, but in, the, in his word, I'm going to read it because I'm going to mess it up. Blessed is the man that walketh not in the counsel of the ungodly, nor standeth in the way of sinners, nor sit in the seats of the scornful. But his delight is in the law of the Lord, and in, in that law doth he meditate day and night. You guys understand the, the, what, what meditation means? It has the picture of a cow, okay? Cow, a cow has multiple stomachs. When a cow gets up in the morning and, it, and it's hungry, it goes out and it eats. But later on in the day when it gets hungry again, does it necessarily go out and eat? No. You know what it does? It's a disgusting picture, but it's a good one. It burps up what it ate that morning, chews it again, and swallows it. It does that multiple times. Here's what it's doing. It's getting as much nourishment throughout the course of its day as it possibly can from what it ate that morning. This is why this is a good, a good picture of meditating on Scripture. It, has the, it has the, the, literally means to chew over. Guys, when we spend time, and I want to challenge you to do it in the morning, get up in the morning, spend time in the Word, and then throughout the day, you think about what you spent time in the Word that morning about. And the Holy Spirit will use that. He will unlock its truth to your heart in a supernatural way. And through that, you change. And through that, you want more and more and more. And listen, if you're not, just practically, if you're, if you're, if you're in the, if not been in the, in the pattern of spending time, let me just, just get up, spend 15 minutes. Just 15 minutes at first. 15 minutes quality time in the Word. That's why we give you those God and I time books. We want you to spend time in the Word. Just get up and just spend 15 minutes, and, and as you progress in that, spend more time. And you're going to want more. And I'm to the point where an hour and a half, honestly, for me, is not enough. And sometimes that's what I have to do. And it might, sometimes it's not even an hour and a half. But I want more. I could spend, and I have, I've spent all morning at times just spending, just reading the Word of God. 
because I want what God gives me from it. Learn to delight in God's word. Last passage we're going to go to. We're going to learn to love God's word. Psalm 119, another passage you might have memorized. We're going to love God's word. Then we've got to, number one, meditate on it day and night. But secondly, we've got to take heed to it. Psalm 119, verse 9 says this, Wherewithal shall a young man cleanse his way? What is, what is he saying here? He's saying how in the world, it's exactly what we're talking about, defeating sin. He's saying how in the world does a young man clean up his act? How does this happen? Well, he tells us, he gives us, he outlines it again here. Wherewithal shall a young man cleanse his way? Number one, by taking heed thereto according to thy word. That, that, that little couple words, taking heed, means to pay attention to or to spend time with. This is what we were just talking about. Pay attention to or spend time in God's word. You've got to set up a pattern of doing this. So if we're going to defeat sin, we've got to learn to love God's word. If we're going to love God's word, we have to learn to meditate on it day and night. We have to learn to take heed to it. But thirdly, we have to seek God in his word with our whole heart. Seek God in his word with our whole heart. Do you seek him? Guys, listen, you've got to get to the point in your life where, where your time in the word is not just a little passive pointing to a verse and, and, and reading it and then walking away. Can God use that? Absolutely he can. It is his word. But God intends for us to think deeply about the word of God. So you've got to seek God in his word with your whole heart. Do you guys realize what you have? Suppose I told you this story. It's actually a cool story. Um, out in the 18, back in the 1800s, there was a wagon train that was going through our property. And they were going out, out west a little bit to plant a city. And on board those wagon trains, they had tens of thousands of dollars worth of gold bullion. Well, right when they got around our logging roads, right around the creek out here, they were attacked... And they didn't want the people who were attacking them to get their gold, so they buried it. And subsequently, they were all killed, and that gold hasn't been found to this day. Now, that's not a true story. But if it were, <laughs> so many of you are disappointed now. If it were, okay, if that were a true story, and I told you, okay, after, uh, after uh, our Christian Life Seminar, we've got some shovels and stuff out here, and somewhere on our ball field, there's millions of dollars worth of gold buried out there, and you know, if you find it, it's yours. That's not good for our soil and grass. So if you find it, you can have it. What would you do right after a Christian Life Seminar? You would, even though you're hungry, you wouldn't look at your buddy and be like, hey, you want to go tubing? You wouldn't do that. You would be out there. You'd be out there on the ball field right behind the sponsors digging it up. You know why? Get this. You know why? Because if you find it, you're set for life. Guys, do you understand? Listen, I mean this. I'm not just saying this, I mean this. Something far more valuable is sitting on many of your laps. It's God's Word. You know, gold is the most valuable commodity on this earth. You understand that? You know what it's used for in heaven? It's pavement. You know what's valued at a high value? God's word. You have God's word. And one day, you're going to get to heaven and you're going to be, oh, wow. I didn't realize what I had. And guys, part of the motivation of my Christian Life Seminar this afternoon is to just help you see the value of what you have in God's word.
It is God's word that teaches us how to live. It is God's word that keeps us from sin. We need to seek God and his word with our whole heart. And then, as he says in this passage, we cannot wander from it. He said, oh, let me, he turns it into a prayer. He said, oh, let me not wander from thy commandments. Let me not wander. That's a picture of a sheep. Sheep are stupid. Because sheep are doing fine over here, and they look out, and they think they see something that's greener. So they go over there, and they nibble over there for a little while. And they go a little bit farther, and they nibble over there for a little while. And they go a little bit farther, and they nibble over there for a little while. And before long, they've nibbled their way away from the sheepfold. They've nibbled their way away from the shepherd, a place of security, a place of plenty of food. Guys, we're so often like sheep, and that's why the psalmist says, God, I want you, I am close to you. I want to stay close. God, please help me not to wander. Help me not to wander from you. And then we need to make sure we hide it in our hearts. Thy word, verse 11, thy word have I hid in my heart for what purpose, to what end? That I might not sin against thee. Guys, why do we need to memorize scripture? You're not always going to have your Bible with you when you're confronted by temptation, and you need God's word constantly running through your heart. So memorize it. If you're going to defeat temptation, you have to determine to escape. You have to defend your heart. You have to learn to love God's word. And lastly, and most importantly, and this is really where it gets done. Those first three aspects are our duty. And lastly, you've got to depend upon God's grace. Because that's where it gets done. What is God's grace? Philippians chapter 2, verse 13, gives us a definition of grace. He doesn't use the word grace in it. But the definition of grace is this. Philippians chapter 2, verse 13. For it is God who works in you both to will and to do of his good pleasure. God gives you grace to do, but not only that, he gives you the grace to want to do his good pleasure. So God is going to be the one that gives you the ability to defeat sin. We know this truth. Because even as we begin, right at the very beginning, we say God is faithful. He will not suffer you to be tempted above that you are able, but will with that temptation make a way to escape. That is grace. God working in you both to will and to do of his good pleasure. And that's where it all gets done. But guys, we have responsibility, and that's why we hit those first three things. We have to get down on our knees and say, God, I want what you want. I'm willing to do whatever it takes. We have to learn what it means to defend our hearts. Proverbs 4.23, keep your heart with all diligence because out of it are the issues of life. You have to learn to love God's word. And you can do this when you taste and you see that God is good. And when all these things are working in your life, you know that God will give you grace. Yeah, we have effort in this, in this life, in this walk that Paul refers to. But our little tablespoons of effort are completely unmatched by God's dump truck loads of grace. So what do we do? Yeah, we work hard. But know that God will get it done. And it starts with a determination. God, I'm willing to do whatever it takes. Are you there? Is that your heart? I hope it is. I hope you want to defeat sin. I promise you guys. How do I know that this is the path to defeat temptation? Well, number one, it's from the word of God. And also, it's my testimony. This is my battle plan, guys. This is my battle plan to defeat sin. I know it works because it's God's word ultimately, but I've seen it work in my own life, and you can too.
Let's pray. Father, we thank you so much for giving us your word and giving us plain truth to understand your word. Lord, I pray that you would help these teens in here to really um, understand what you have for them. Lord, download these truths uh, to their hearts so they can be changed forever. And we know it's the Holy Spirit that does this. In Jesus' name we pray.